0: amen. Still the cross. If you read the book of Galatians very carefully, you will recall that Paul put it this way. The cross is what divides all men between trust in self and trust in God. God forbid that I should glory save in the what? Do you remember? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the dividing line. It's the measure of trust, whether we really trust God. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 17. And read with me through the first eight verses. Well, just look through verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, but... Look at how the chapter begins. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. And then in verse 5, he draws a clear line. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land, which is not inhabited. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when the heat comes but her leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will ever cease from yielding fruit i want to speak to you today on trust and the law of abundance now for a tree you have just heard a definition of abundance it's it's a uh, Uh, Roots are spread out deep into the river where it draws its nourishment, its moisture, and its, uh, its strength. It never fears when adversity comes, when the drought arrives. The leaf is always green. There is no anxiety in drought. And there is delicious, rich, full fruit yielded constantly. Each of us might define abundance in a different way. When Shirley's dad was still in Florida, we used to love to go down to Florida. And there was an old pipe fitter from Connecticut that lived down the street named John Collier. And John had four or five grapefruit trees in his yard. And his grapefruit trees were always rich and full of delicious, juicy fruit. I've never seen any grapefruit that had as much moisture and as much water in them. And I would bring those things home and put them in the freezer until they were cold and cut them in half and then, you know, slice them around and split the membrane where you get it just ice cold and juicy. And one spoonful would put out a half a quart of juice. I mean, they were so rich and juicy. And one day I saw him. He had this little apparatus that he was on the end of his hose and he would put it down in the ground around his grapefruit trees and he would feed them water directly to the roots and that's what made the grapefruit so ice cold and juicy and cold and tantalizing and delicious when you first got up and had morning breath it tasted especially good then (laughs) but we would define abundance in different ways would we not Betty Warner told me she went up to Snappy's lunch up at Mount Airy. How many have ever been to Snappy's? Been to Snappy's? Had one of those pork chop sandwiches. Hmm. And uh, went up to the cash register to pay for it. And she and the other lady were bragging about Snappy's pork chop sandwiches. I'm sure, Dr. Marks, they were good for your cholesterol. I just want to report that I haven't had one in at least two weeks. But... uh, Uh... but anyway, as they were talking about them, an old gentleman who made them said, you like my sandwiches? Sit down, I'll make you another one. <laughs> and so he did. That's abundance. How would you define abundance? Now, in many different ways in Scripture, there is abundance. God will do abundantly above all that we ask or think. For me, the law of abundance is that those who trust in the Lord will enjoy long-lasting, need-fulfilling abundance. You may not have everything you want, but you will have everything spiritual and emotional and physical and material that you need. That is the law of abundance, is that God will provide for his own. And the difference between health, wealth, and prosperity theology and the simple truth of the law of abundance is that God gives to those who are in need according to your need and according to your trust in him. It seems to me that we have an interesting situation here with Jeremiah that this fits into Jeremiah's message to Judah. Manasseh had reigned 55 years He is Josiah's grandfather. And in 55 wicked years of rule in the kingdom of the south, there were shrines built on the hills in every woods. There were altars to many gods. There were the fertility gods that commandeered worship from Israel and stole it from God. There were temple prostitutes and grove prostitutes that Manasseh, the king of God's people, endorsed in opposition to the law of God. And it was fifty-five years of wicked reign. And Ammon, the father of Josiah, came on the scene and reigned only two years. In the political world of that day, Assyria had been the ascendant power of the world. But the Chaldeans and the Medes had come up against them and threatened their rule. And then the Assyrians had sought uh, an alliance with Pharaoh from Egypt in order to fight off the Chaldeans and the Medes. But it was useless and early in the reign of Josiah. While there was a spiritual revival because Josiah had found the copy of the Bible that had been hidden in the, the temple, which was in a state of disrepair. Jeremiah was preaching repentance, 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 repentance. And in the middle of that is this great message in chapter 17, and uh, several things happen. First, he makes the charges in this message. Now, here's a, here's a man of great character, enormous compassion, Jeremiah He came from Anathoth, which was a Levitical village. Probably he came out of a family of priests. But but he was a man of of a tender heart. And he was horribly persecuted during his ministry. And in the middle of an unsubtle political condition, in the middle of idolatry and idolatrous times in Judah, the remaining people of God, Jeremiah stood for what was right. And he declares to Judah, God's judgment. First, the charges, note them. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, verse 1. Said you people are acting as if the law is written on your hearts, as if the law of evil is something you must obey. We use excuses. Well, why would I feel this way if God doesn't want me to do it and it's wrong and it's evil and God has no part in it? He said secondly, it's like the law of evil is engraved with a point of a diamond on the tablet of your heart as if uh, it's enshrined in you and you cannot break away from it. As if you are a people identified by evil, as I would take take one of those pens and inscribe my social security number on the bottom of my VCR to describe ownership. He said, it's like evil has claimed you. The third charge was, evil is inscribed on the horns of your altars. That's the altar where the priest went to put the blood. To offer for the blood of a priest or for the blo- or for the sins of the priest or the sins of the people. And where there should have been blood as a sacrifice for sin, there was evil written on the horns of the altar. They had so degraded the worship of God. And then he said, even your children, even your children will not, in verse, uh, in, in verse uh, 2. While their children remember their altars and their wooden images, you have fed this idolatrous worship to the next generation so that there's little hope of breaking the chain of idolatrous worship. Then Jeremiah listed the chastisement that will come upon them. Verse three: O my mountain in the field, that's Judah, I will give as plunder your wealth, all your treasures, I'll take away everything you have, your wealth, your treasure, I will take away your pagan shrines, your high places of sin, verse 3, within all your borders. And you, even yourself, will let go of your heritage, the land, which is the basis for your wealth, the basis for your blessing. And then I will cause you to serve your enemies in a land you do not know. You will lose your freedom. You will not only lose your land, you will lose the freedom. Always there was a link between the trust and the worship of God and the material prosperity of God's people. It was always so, and it is true to this day. Then Jeremiah vivifies the situation by contrasting the man who is cursed and the man who is blessed. Look at verse five. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. That one line rips away all the facade All the shell of of modern day living which runs around us, whether it's medical technology, whether it's education, I am telling you, no matter how smart you are, no matter what is available to deal with sickness, cursed is the man who trusts in man. It's a statement of every generation who makes flesh his strength there must be a renunciation of the flesh whose heart departs from the lord for now watch the analogy that man who trusts in man who makes flesh his strength will be like a stunted shrub in the desert that never grows higher than this he will be he will not know when good comes He will not even be able to see good. There will be no hope for the future. He will inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. He will live in barrenness. And number four, he will live in a salt land which is not inhabited. Kirsten is the man because he will live alone. He will be all alone. Then he contrasts that with a man who is blessed. And it reminds us of Psalm 1, doesn't it? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is not in flesh but in the Lord. For instead of being a a stunted shrub in the desert, he'll be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river. The godly man who trusts in God develops godly habits. The roots are the foundation, the habits of life. And when when he will not fear, when heat comes, he faces adversity and stands strong and prosperous. His leaf, her leaf will be green. That is the tree. Her leaf will be green. It's an aura, an environment of blessing and prosperity. Stands for life as opposed to barrenness. And see how each one of these analogies in verse 8 contrasts with the analogies of verse 6. The man who trusts in man is like a stunted shrub, but the man who trusts in God is like a great tree planted by the the river. The man who trusts in man will not know when good comes, but the man who trusts in God will have his hope in the Lord. The man who trusts in man will live in a parched land, but the man who trusts in God will have green leaves. AND THE MAN WHO TRUSTS IN GOD WILL NEVER BE ANXIOUS IN DROUGHT, AND HIS TREE WILL ALWAYS BE FRUITFUL. NOW WHAT IS STRIKING HERE IS THAT BOTH MEN LIVE IN THE SAME CONDITIONS. THEY'RE LIVING IN THE SAME ECONOMY, AND YET ONE IS CURSED AND ONE IS BLESSED. WE HAVE THAT TODAY. SOME OF US ARE ALWAYS MAKING EXCUSES. Well, I've never gotten breaks. I've never had help. Nobody ever pushed me. Nobody ever did this for me. And we make ourselves the victim and we sing, poor pity pie me. Whereas under the same economy, here's a man who had nothing. Here's a woman who had nothing. And because she trusted in God, she spread out her roots to draw nourishment from God's life-giving water in the same economy, in the same time, in the same country, in the same city, that person lives in blessedness, the leaves are green, the fruit is always being productive, and God's always just about to give a little bit more, and he does. And what's the difference? I declare to you the difference is very, very simple. The difference is whether we trust in man or trust in God, and that seems so simple. Folks, Christian stewardship is not a matter of of giving. It's a matter of trust. It boils down to this. Do I trust God? I think one of the characteristics of every great Christian I've known is that he is a lifelong learner. Some years ago, we had Andy Telford here. I'll never forget Andy because he is the one who outlined all those, uh, all, he had all those outlines. And uh, prayer was patient, persevering, parsimonious and practical. And, uh, and God was always faithful and God was always uh, uh, fantastic and facsimile and voracious. And I mean, everything was lined up. He always used, he always used letters. He died last year at 102, 102. And the last time I was in Boca Raton and tried to call him, he said, well, I can't preach anymore, but I'm sitting here in this home. I don't call it a rest home. It's a study home. And at 101, he was still studying the Bible. Still studying the Bible. Every great Christian I have known is a lifelong learner and keeps on passing the tests that are thrown his way. And I want to feature for you today, a test. I want to give everybody a test. And it is a not a taste test, but a trust test. And I don't care if you... What is that cereal where the, the, the older people always are hidden in the shadows and they hate to admit they still like... Uh, Frosted, Flakes. Frosted Flakes, Frosted Flakes. I don't care if you still do eat Frosted Flakes. The Frosted Flakes of the Christian life are the tests of trust that God gives us. God called Gideon over here at a threshing floor. And then he took 32,500 men and God said, you've got too many men, why? Cursed is the man who trusts in man. He said, cut those down. And so all that are fearful and afraid go back home and 22,500 went home and 10,000 stayed, you remember? And then he said, now, let them get down to the water and drink. And some lapped and put their heads down. They didn't observe while they were drinking, and some kept their heads up, and they brought the water to their mouths. He said, take those, and there are only 300 left. Why? Because cursed is the man who trusts in man. And blessed is the man who trusts in God. That was a trust test for Gideon. Or or let's take Caleb, he was one of the spies sent down to the land, sneak into the land, see what's going on in that land, see if we can capture it. Ten brought back a negative report, they're giants down in that land. We'll never be able to help them. We'll, We'll never be able to overcome them. And two came back with a positive report and said, oh, they're giants, but they'll be like nothing cursed is the man who trusts or fears in man and blessed is the man who trusts in god and 45 years later when caleb's standing in that land at 80 some years of age god says give that man the land blessed is the man who trusts in the lord abraham went up on a mountain and god said take your son the thing you love most and he got him up there in the mountain and said, now offer your son as a sacrifice. And Abraham is ready to give his son because he trusts in God, not man. And the minute he trusted in God, God provided a ram in the thicket. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and blessed is the man who trusts in God. And God said, now I know that you would not withhold your only son from me. And God provided for him in the middle of his test. Now, I want to submit to you that every one of us lives constantly in relationship with the Lord, taking the test of trust. And I want to give you 10 of those tests that I've, I've faced, and I want you to see each one of these and then grade your own paper and tell me where you stand in your trust. Are you ready? Here is the trust test. This is not pass or fail. I want you to grade yourself. Tell me how many of them you think you're at least 50% on, and then I'll tell you that that's where your abundance is coming from. Test number one. Who's the boss? Test number one. Is God the owner of everything I have? Is everything a gift? Am I the manager and the steward and God the owner? Now, that's really an issue of of trust. It's really an issue of trust. Can I take what God has given me and present it back to Him and say, whatever you ask of me, since it is yours, I'm willing to give it to you. My talent and my Wednesday nights, so I can sing in the choir, I'm willing to make a commitment to rehearse on Wednesday night. Amen? That's the test of trust. I'm telling you, can I trust God, but I don't have time I'm asking, can you trust God? But I'm already doing too much. I'm asking, can you trust God? Who's the boss? Test number one, who's the boss? Test number two, are you ready? It's the the test of give to grow. Give to grow. The only way you can grow is by giving. Growing in giving affects every other area of every Christian's life, which is why Paul appeals in 2 Corinthians to the grace of giving. Have I learned to trust God so that I can give, knowing that as I learn to give of my talent, ministry, and time, I will grow in obedience and faithfulness and patience And the other areas of my life. Someone has to take the first step. It's the test of trust have I learned to grow by giving of myself. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your ministry because time is as valuable a currency today as money is. Our issue of stewardship is an issue of time. And the issue of time is an issue of trust. Can I trust God to make the rest of my time go around when I give to him? Teaching in Sunday school is a test of trust. Teaching in preschool is a test of trust. Giving time to keep children during the Easter pageant is a test of trust. These are tests of trust, folks. Do you trust the Lord or do you trust man? Who's the boss and give to grow? Here's the third test. It's the here and now test. God's idea of stewardship begins with my present resources. What is in my hand in the here and now? What am I doing with the gifts and abilities and resources I have right now? Mother Teresa said, I know that God would not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me quite as much as he does. And almost all of us have been there. But the reason God trusts Mother Teresa is because she has been faithful with what he first gave her. WHAT DO I HAVE RIGHT NOW? GOD DOESN'T ASK ANYTHING OF YOU THAT YOU DON'T HAVE. WHETHER IT'S SOUL WINNING, WHETHER IT'S FAITHFULNESS IN WORSHIP, WHETHER IT'S MAKING CHURCH WORSHIP ON THE LORD'S DAY A PRIORITY, THE ISSUE IS WHAT AM I DOING TODAY WITH THIS 24 HOURS, WITH THE MONEY I HAVE, WITH THE TIME I HAVE, THE TALENT I HAVE, THE RESOURCES I HAVE RIGHT NOW. TEST NUMBER FOUR, HOW ARE YOU COMING? HAVE YOU RATED YOURSELF YET? Test number four. It's what I call the live forever test. It is based on this principle that we live forever through our giving. The giving of our lives, our time, our ministry. The only thing here which lasts forever is what we give. And that is true, by the way, also of finances. But it is also true of our abilities and our time and our energy and our talent. I live forever by what I give away, not what I hoard. That is a test. Can I trust God to give of my time and energy knowing that he will take care of me? Can I trust him to give of my resources so that he, knowing he will take care of me and provide abundance? Provide abundance. TEST NUMBER FIVE. ARE YOU READY FOR THE FIFTH TEST? IT'S WHO'S IN LINE FIRST? WHO IS IN LINE FIRST? GOD DESERVES THE FIRST OF EVERYTHING IN OUR LIVES. EVERYBODY IN THIS ROOM HAS GOT TO MAKE UP HIS MIND. IS GOD FIRST IN LINE FOR MY TIME? IS GOD FIRST IN LINE FOR MY MONEY? Is God first in line for my commitment? Is God first in line? Or is my wife or are my children, is my job first in line? Is God 16th? Is God 21st? Is God 31st? Where is God? Is he first in line? That's an important question. Some years ago, I was down here at Eckerd's. I went down on a Saturday when I had two weddings. And I was trying to get all the things done that my wife had laid out for me to do. And suddenly I realized I needed something to finish one of my honeydew tasks. And I ran down to to Eckerd's and there it was busy as can be on a Saturday morning. I remember I counted there were 14 people in line in front of me. I am not a good waiter. How many of you are not good waiters? I'm just not a good waiter. AND IT SEEMED LIKE EVERYBODY THAT DAY WAS USING CHECKS, WHICH REQUIRED THREE. WOULD YOU SHOW ME IDENTIFICATION, PLEASE, (laughs) MA'AM? OR THEY WERE USING CREDIT CARDS AND EVERYTHING, AND THE LINES WERE TIED UP. AND I WAS IN A HURRY, AND I WAS JUST STEAMING. IT WAS COMING OUT MY EARS. AND THEN WE MOVED SEVERAL PEOPLE, AND I WAS NOW TWELFTH IN LINE, AND THEN I LOOKED UP, AND HERE CAME A LITTLE, elderly lady I have to be careful how I speak because soon I'm going to be a little old man so <laughs> I'm going to say a really a wonderful nice little elderly little woman came in the door with red tennis shoes on never forget her she went straight to the shelf to get what she wanted and then guess where she went it was not to the back of the line she went straight to the cashier, and as she went straight to the cashier, my temperature level rose 175 degrees. Now, I'm a godly man. I'm filled with the Spirit, and I memorized Galatians 5. I know all about Proverbs 16, 1 and 2, but something happened to me that day. You know, just about the, th- uh, the time you think you got the devil licked, and you got him by, uh, by a A rope, he's going to crop up in your life. And uh, something happened and stepped to me and I stepped out of line and everybody in that line turned to see what I was going to say. And I wanted to tell that woman where to go. Uh, The back of the line, of course. (laughs) And when everybody looked to see what I was going to do and say, the Holy Spirit checked me and said, get back in that line. You better shut your mouth and hold it closed. I'm not a good waiter in line. But who's first in line is important. Hear this principle. It's a test of trust. It is a test of do I believe God deserves the first of my money, the first of my time, the first of my energy, the first of my love, and can I trust that everything else in life, every other need will be met because of the law of abundance? It's a simple test. It's not a matter of just of planning. It's not just a matter of organization. It boils down to a matter of trust. Test number six is the test of a cheerful heart. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. God loves. Love has to be the foundation of service. Singing, preaching, teaching, ministering, being a group leader. We can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. It's as simple as that. Love asks, how much can I give? And legalism says, how, what's the least I can get away with giving? Carl Menninger in one of his books says... He has never seen a generous person mentally ill. <laughs> that really kind of grabbed me. Imagine that. He has never seen a generous person who is mentally ill. I like that. But the question is, can I give of, of everything I have an am to God out of a cheerful, loving heart? A hilarious giver is a loving giver. Test number seven It's the test of the big shovel. It is that Jesus measures the standard of what I receive by the standard of what he receives from me. And I believe that that Luke 6, 38 is exactly right. Jesus said, "'Give and it shall be given unto you,' pressed down, shaken, running over so that there is abundance." And the test of the big shovel is, can you really believe that God's shovel is bigger than yours? You shovel this small shovel in, and God shovels this big shovel back out. He gives back to you. Can I really trust God that if I give him this little bit, he'll give me back all that I need and sufficient for all my needs abundance? That's the test of the big shovel. It's a test of trust. It is whether I trust God. The eighth test is the test of the river, the creek, or the cesspool. Every one of us can be either a river, a creek, or we can be a cesspool. Either God is flowing through us, so we're blessing everything and everybody where we go like a river, or we're a creek with just a trickle, and only sometimes when there comes abundance do we pass it on, or are we the end where it's all stagnated, it's running, it's coming in, but there's nothing going out and there's nothing going out because we don't trust God. We're afraid to let go of what we are and what we have because he might not give it back to us. I'm telling you, folks, it's a matter of trust. Ministry is a matter of trust. Victory is a matter of trust. Giving is a matter of trust. Test number nine It's the things manage me test. Are my credit card bills managing my giving, or am I managing my credit card bills? Just thought I'd throw that in. (laughs) It is this, unless God is in control of my life and resources, I am probably out of control. I want to say that one more time. Unless God is in control, I am probably out of control. James Lawless said, stewardship is more than the management of things. It is a refusal to let things manage me. Are you being managed by your time or are you managing your time? Are you being managed by your money or are you managing your money? Are you being managed by Christian service or are you managing Christian ministry in your life? Are you being managed by by your friends and your peers or are you managing your relationships and setting limits? It's as simple as that. Do I trust God to to manage me for his glory and my good. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and cursed is the man who trusts in man. Number 10, it's the by the myth, B-U-Y, by the myth test. Have I bought into the myths about ministry and time and money? And here are some of them. I CAN'T AFFORD TO tithe. THAT'S A MYTH. I CAN'T AFFORD TO JOIN THE CHOIR. I DON'T HAVE THE TIME OR THE MONEY. I MEAN, YOU KNOW WHAT THAT CHOIR DOES? I MEAN, FIRST YOU GOT TO BUY AN OUTFIT IN ORDER TO SING CHRISTMAS TIME. THAT'S MONEY. THEN YOU GOT TO GIVE GIFT to TO THE DIRECTOR. THAT'S MONEY. And, and then we got a Christmas uh, party and we got to pay, buy tickets. That, that's money. And, and then we got to buy another outfit for Easter. That's money. And, and then we got to do this and that's and do that and that's money. And first thing you know, I can't afford to sing in a choir. I, I don't have the time. You know what he expects of you? He expects you to come on Wednesday night to rehearsal. Imagine, imagine if Barb uh, Fave had never gone to practice and uh, uh, and, the, and what was his name? Brent Farr, not Bart, that's Bart Starr. Hey, you can tell where I am. I mean, I thought the Pats won the Super Bowl. But um, I ask you the question, have you bought into the myth or do you trust God? Have you bought into the myth that you can't afford to minister? You don't have time to be a group leader. They ask you to go to the funeral home when somebody in the family of one of your group dies. Uh, Here's another myth. I must take care of my family first. That's a matter of trust. Do I take care of God's, uh, my obligation to God and then trust him to take care of my family? But somebody else will buy into the myth. I deserve these things. I've worked hard for it. That's a myth that God can't reward you, that God can't take care of you. That's a test of trust. Here's a myth. My past makes it impossible for me to give. I've got too many bills. That's a myth. You are not in bondage to your past. Yesterday's gone on down the river, and you'll never get it back. I know you've got to take care of your obligations, but it's a matter of trust. Can I trust to find a way to give something out of the first of what I earn? Can I find a way to give something of my time to God first? First. All these are matters of trust. They're really issues of trust. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength. And blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Now, where did you stand on the 10 tests? How are you coming? Did you pass? Fail? Are you somewhere in the middle? Are you growing? Are you moving up the line? And I tell you, if you look at those 10, God will be constantly just giving you those tests. You'll see them come up in your lives when it comes to serving, when it comes to time for worship, when it comes to time for your family, when it comes to giving, when it comes to praying, when it comes to a quiet time, when it comes to family worship. The issue you must resolve in your life first is, I will trust the Lord. And the result of that is you will be like a tree planted by the water spreading out your roots near the water. You will not fear when adversity comes. Your leaf will be green. You will bear signs of life and everybody will want to know why you're so green and luxurious and you have abundance. And finally, You'll never be anxious in the time of drought because you will have learned the most important lesson of all, which is the lesson of trust. For me, it's the only way you can get into the kingdom. It is the only way to live in the kingdom. A man comes to the cross to be saved because he he refuses to trust in himself to save himself. CURSED IS THE MAN WHOSE HOPE IS IN THE FLESH. NO GOOD MORAL WORKS CAN SAVE YOU. BLESSED IS THE MAN WHO TRUSTS IN THE LORD." I WANT TO CHALLENGE YOU IN THE DEEPEST POSSIBLE WAY TO THINK OF EVERY CHALLENGE OF THE CHRISTIAN LIFE FIRST AS A MATTER OF WHETHER I TRUST GOD. DO I REALLY TRUST GOD? THE PASTOR OF THE LARGEST CHRISTIAN CHURCH IN AMERICA is a man by the name of Bob Russell at the Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. When I was uh, uh, in, in early in high school and we had moved to Ohio where my dad bought a, uh, a little business college up there, uh, dad preached at a little church out in the countryside and right down the road from that church was the church that the Russell family attended. And I remember when Bob Russell was just a little fellow like this Today, he preaches to 9,000 people every Sunday in Louisville, Kentucky, starting with a church just of a little handful. Some time ago, they raised $34 million to build out there one of the interstates through Louisville, a brand new facility. And when they had finished raising the money at the end of the service where Bob announced what what had been given, what had been committed... The Christian church has a board of elders, you know, and and a board of deacons. And he said that the chairman of his elders came up to him with tears streaming down his cheeks and said this, I just gave money I don't have to reach people I've never met because of a God whom I love very much. That's a great line. I have just given money I don't have to reach people I've never met because of a God whom I love very much. Can I paraphrase that? I just this morning gave my offering. I gave money that I just got <laughs> last week. I gave the first fruits to reach people I've never even met. BECAUSE OF A GOD, I TRUST ENOUGH THAT HE'LL GIVE ME A SCOOP AGAIN NEXT WEEK. AMEN AND AMEN. CURSED IS THE MAN WHO TRUSTS IN MAN AND WHOSE HOPE IS IN THE FLESH, AND BLESSED IS THE MAN WHO TRUSTS IN THE LORD AND WHOSE HOPE IS IN THE LORD. AND WHICH WILL IT BE? WILL YOU BE CURSED OR BLESSED? LET'S STAND QUIETLY IN PRAYER. Our FATHER IN HEAVEN, I THANK YOU FOR THE WORD OF GOD. AND FOR JEREMIAH'S TEST TRUST. AND FOR JEREMIAH'S CHALLENGE TO EVERY ONE OF US. AND I ASK TODAY THAT YOU WILL HELP US TO ANALYZE THROUGH THE HOLY SPIRIT'S HELP. SEARCH OUR HEARTS. THOSE OF US WHO ARE BOUND BY FEAR, ARE WE REALLY TRUSTING GOD OR TRUSTING IN OUR FLESH? Those of us who need to be saved and have never been willing to come and repent at the cross, are we trusting in the flesh or trusting in you? Those of us who are afraid to surrender our lives for service and ministry, is it because of of, uh, trust in the flesh, God, or is it trust in you? Oh, Father, divide us and show us in the sense that we can see Reasons why we've not been blessed or reasons why we have been blessed with abundance. Our needs have been met. Draw folks to the cross to surrender to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.